Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and today Jason is joining me for some conversation. Hello, Jason. Hey, Warren. Uh, good to speak with you today and talk about some things regarding prayer. Yeah, so we're going to kind of pick up conversationally the sermon topic from this past Sunday. We're talking about Jesus and prayer on Sunday mornings this past Sunday. The topic was, uh, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, but I kind of did throw, did so through the, the angle of praying other people's words and the value and, and meaning that that can have for us as praying people, as followers of Christ, and the, the formative and I think transformative impact that that can have on us. And so we wanted to just have, have a conversation today that kind of picks up that conversation, explores some of that a little more conversationally. And so Jason, I want to kind of start with you and, and see kind of what, what were some of your thoughts about that topic? I know you had mentioned to me afterwards that that seemed to be a topic that there could be some more conversation about. So I'm just curious to hear from you as someone listening to that sermon and topic, what, what were some of your thoughts? What did you find uh, worthy of, of conversation or thought kind of going from that? Well, as with you, I grew up in a faith tradition that didn't really um, value the prayers of other people on a personal level, uh, you know, even the Lord's Prayer. So I can't, I don't know that I was part of a congregational or even a group recitation of a prayer um, until I was well into adulthood and maybe even attending, you know, church services outside of the churches of Christ. Um, And so that was something that I, you know, a lot of what you spoke about in the sermon regarding kind of your own history resonated with me in that, you know, prayer is supposed to be heartfelt, it's supposed to come from you know, a personal relationship with God and what kind of a personal relationship can really be um, demonstrated in a prayer that that you yourself don't create. Um, as an adult, um, I, you know, have been to other churches, however, and um, when I lived in Michigan, I was a member at a Dutch Christian Reformed Church, which, you know, theologically, I have a lot of disagreements with the Dutch Christian reform, um, uh, denomination, but I, I learned to appreciate a lot of, of what they did and particularly that congregations, um, specifically. And that was really where I became more appreciative of, uh, congregational prayer and praying the prayers of other people that, that particular church, uh, you know, we recited the Lord's Prayer and uh, the Apostles' Creed every week, and uh, and often prayers were were read and congregationally recited from the Book of Common Prayer. That was that actually that was my first real exposure to the Book of Common Prayer was when I was a member at that church. And one thing that that really turned the tide for me was actually not something that happened in church or in part of my faith life, but actually something that happened in my uh, profession. And that is, you know, as a, as a therapist, I, I work with clients through, you know, uh, 
family difficulties, mental, emotional, relational problems. And what I've come to find is that a lot of times in counseling and in therapy, language becomes very important, like how we talk about things, how the the language we use just with ourselves, not even necessarily trying to communicate with other people, but just what kind of language do we use in our own head to understand our experiences. And the more I've worked with clients and, and now with students, really, the more I've found that there is so much catharsis, there's so much healing, and there is so much um, peace that comes from finding new words and new ways to say something. And a prayer, in my opinion, uh, especially a prayer that is written by someone else, can do just that. So maybe I have a feeling or a yearning or a uh, an experience that I want to take to God. Um, but maybe I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. For whatever reason, the language just isn't coming to me, even in, even within my own head. Well, that's where things like the Book of Common Prayer or the Psalms or uh, lots of prayers that have been written down by other people can really come in handy. And we can take those prayers and use that language and say, yes, this language resonates. This language helps. Now, that's not the only reason. In fact, I think if you were to ask a lot of people who engage in this kind of prayer, that might not even be the top reason why they benefit from it. But that was my early experience and and my uh, the experience that really turned the light bulb on for me as uh, as I was, you know, kind of thinking about my growth as a therapist and what I saw was helping and useful for clients. A lot of times it was around, you know, me helping them provide or helping provide for them a set of words, vocabulary, ways of thinking and talking about their experiences that provided peace and consolation and healing. Um, and I mean, that that kind of phenomenon exists all the time. And it's not because I have any particular insight into their life. It's not that. It's not that I know them better, and so therefore I can talk about it better. It's just that I have a different set of words. I have a different language set than my clients. Or, you know, and I think that that goes for everybody. I mean, the way that you speak, Warren, is different than the way I speak. We can understand each other, um, but your, you know, idiosyncrasies and the and the words and phrases that you use more often are going to be different than the ones that I do. And if we have a conversation about a topic, um, your just kind of thoughts about that, which may not necessarily be anything revolutionary, or maybe it is, but even if it isn't, it's... Uh, the language you use can sometimes be very powerful in helping me better understand and put into perspective what I'm thinking. So during your sermon, that was that was what kind of occurred to me was just the power of language and how different people, even those who speak the exact same language, use language differently. And sometimes we can benefit from the way that other people may use language uh, as it differs from our, our own. Very true, yeah. As you were saying that, one thought that I had was 
you know, I have found just personally for me, it, it's helpful for me to, to engage in activities that sort of uh, get me out of my own head is, is the language that I have used and kind of just those types of things are helpful for me. And I think that's one of the benefits of, of kind of praying some of these prayers, especially praying the same ones consistently is that it helps ground us in a different set of vocabulary or language than I might typically use if just left to my own devices. Whereas my, my own thoughts might be more uh, selfishly oriented or reactive. I think reactive was the word that I used in the sermon. Um, but but it, it, it grounds us in something, in something outside of ourself, I think, if there are, are kind of a set of prayers that we are consistently praying, in addition to, as you said, the, the ones that might speak to, speak to a situation in, in a way that, that gives me language for something that I, I, I kind of can't put words to. And, you know, you used the, the words again, heartfelt and, and personal relationship with God as kind of some of the characteristics for prayer and kind of the ways that, that you and I were both kind of taught about prayer in our, in our upbringing. And one of the images that I thought of even after Sunday was I thought, you know, it's interesting to me that we, we sing songs in worship that none of us wrote. Yeah. <laughs> and, but that doesn't, none of us feel like that makes our participation in that any less worshipful that we are still worshiping as we sing the songs of other people. And it can be very personal and heartfelt. Even though many of the songs that we sing are, in fact, prayers, right? I don't think that most of us think of it that way. We think of it as a different category. We do, yes. Or at least least maybe that's specific to, uh, like, people who grew up in the Church of Christ and are not used to congregational prayer. I don't know, maybe... People who grew up, you know, Methodist or Presbyterian or Lutheran or Catholic who, you know, do participate in prayer. Maybe they do see those songs more clearly as prayers. But for the most part, I think within our denomination, we don't see it that way. We don't see it as talking directly to God as we do, you know, when we bow our heads and speak solemnly. I think you're right, which I I think shows an interesting way that we think about worshiping in song versus praying. Yeah. Because we do see, we do see prayer much more as kind of communication between me and God and, and worship isn't, or singing isn't in some ways or is in some way different. And, and so I do think this, this idea that words have to be original to kind of our own thoughts and, and are, are of our own creation in order to be personal or heartfelt is in a way, I think, you, a unique standard that we apply to prayer. Yes. And, and um, but, you know, that being said, because, you know, I think we could say the same thing about songs outside of a Christian context too, right? That there are probably song lyrics, even from like, you know, quote unquote, secular songs that are very meaningful to us and that connect with something in our lives in a, in a meaningful or direct way, or there are songs that we could hear that would probably immediately take us back to a certain moment in our life or certain season in our life. And, and so like, and and we wouldn't say that those aren't meaningful or personal or, or impactful, but that being said, I can't take those song lyrics that are meaningful to me and attempt to pass them off or share them with others as if I'm the one who wrote them. 
Like I can share them with you and say, these are, these are meaningful song lyrics to me. And that would be completely acceptable. But if I said, you know, hey, Jason, listen to this awesome song that I wrote. And you're like, wait a minute, you didn't write that. <laughs> um, you know, I think that's where it becomes problematic. And, and I almost wonder if that's part of the hesitation that we have about praying other people's words is that it feels sort of disingenuous or, or inauthentic or like we're trying to take a shortcut in prayer somehow. Yeah. I'm trying to pass something else off as my own when really someone else created it. And so part of the, one of the thoughts that I've had even since Sunday then is this idea that I don't think there's any plagiarism in prayer. So I think that's sometimes what we're concerned about. Yeah. <laughs> Am I plagiarizing? Am I being disingenuous? Am I looking for a shortcut? And I think for me, even since Sunday, that's sort of been helpful for me in thinking through it even more. Just there's, there's no plagiarism in prayer. And, and I would be disingenuous if I try to pass it off as my own words to someone else. But as far as my prayers to God, there's, there's no plagiarism. If someone else's words help me, help me get there and are personal and heartfelt, then that's great. Well, and... As you pointed out on Sunday, even Jesus does that. Jesus borrows parts of prayers right. from uh, from the Old Testament all the time. You know, even I, I and I wasn't aware. I don't think I'd ever put the uh, two together about how "Give us this day our daily bread" is very clearly seems to be a call out to that passage in Proverbs that talk about daily bread and. I I don't know that I had ever put those two together, but there are plenty of other circumstances where, you know, if you read a Bible that has footnotes in it that references you to other passages of Scripture, you can look at that and see, oh, okay, Jesus said this, and not only he, but likely his audience that he was speaking to in the moment uh, probably knew exactly what Scripture he was referring to. And it's probably more of a mystery to us than it even was to the people of the time. And oh, for sure. And and that's just throughout the entire, you know, every gospel. And so, I, I mean, that in and of itself, I think, provides a level of legitimacy to praying other people people's prayers that uh, that I, I I don't think I appreciated when I was younger, and I and I think it really illustrates how you know our faith is built on the faiths of those who came before us um and certainly that includes you know people that we find in scripture you know Jesus chief among them but i think it also includes you know people who have uh, you know written and uh spoken about the faith even in more, much more recent times. And so when we see, you know, that somebody has written a prayer, um, I subscribe to a couple of Substack newsletters where, uh, where that kind of thing is included. I, and I always appreciate that. I always feel like those, those written prayers, and some of them are, you know, more relevant to me in my personal situation than others, but I always appreciate that, that, I can draw upon and um, benefit from, you know, the the public written prayers that people put out there, even in, you know, our time. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. You know, um, speaking of kind of following the example of of Jesus and, and what we see in Scripture, another piece of it that I 
so this is part of the, this got left on the sermon cutting room floor, but there's a verse there's a verse in Acts 2 that I know, again, kind of especially those of us who grew up in church are probably very familiar with Acts 2.42, which in the NIV says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so that's how it, I think that's kind of, that's how I remember learning that verse, and, and that's how I stated in the NIV. But literally what it says at the end of that is that they were devoted to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Like there's, a, there's an article in front of it, and prayer is plural. Interesting. Almost as if it's specific. It's like a set of prayers. And I always heard it as prayer generally, as we would kind of think, have thought about prayer kind of, you know, in, in our past. But it seems to be about the prayers, about specific prayers. Yeah. And so in several translations, like in the English Standard Translation, American Standard, Standard Translation, it's translated that way at the end. The ending of that is, and the prayers. It's the same in the message. King James says, and in prayers, it leaves out the the, but it's plural. And so I found in the, this, so this is from the Orthodox Study Bible. Uh, it says this about the end of that verse. It says, prayers is literally the prayers in Greek, referring to specific liturgical prayers. The Jews had practiced liturgical prayer for centuries, the preeminent prayers being the Psalms. Because the Psalms point so clearly to Christ, Christians immediately incorporated them into New Testament worship. And so there's this thought about that verse that what Luke, as the writer of Acts, is speaking to there, is this devotion and continued practice of maintaining a set of prayers that you are daily praying and incorporating into your your spiritual life, almost as if those haven't that, that tradition hasn't been thrown out now after Christ. That the, the the followers of Christ are continuing that Jewish tradition of being dedicated to liturgical rote prayers that they are consistently praying as part of their life. And so I think part of the irony there, again, kind of if you think about kind of how we have traditionally thought about this, is that when we don't pray liturgical or rote prayers, we are actually throwing out generations of, of practices and traditions as it relates to prayer, going far back to even before Christ came in the picture and extending forward from there within scripture itself and without of it with and and outside of it in kind of the broader christian tradition. Yeah. Well, and and I think it's very clear that that's the tradition that Jesus is borrowing from and building upon when he gives us the Lord's prayer and he says this is how you should pray. I mean, <clears throat> at this point I can I think it's pretty safe to assume that he wasn't just giving a template that he was building on that Jewish tradition of praying specific words that have specific meaning and that you aren't just praying a type of prayer, you're praying a specific prayer that other people in your, um, you know, in your faith are also praying the exact same time and the exact same way. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now I, I have a question for you, Warren. All right. I think if I remember correctly, when you first came to the Vine, mm-hmm. you know, we had a, a different congregational prayer. Right right now we have a prayer of confession mm-hmm. um, that we say at, at, you know, near the end of worship uh, before communion. And when you came, uh, we had a different one that we were praying. But 
if I remember correctly, I think you told me at one point that you 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 know were somewhat ambivalent, not against it, but didn't really see it as um you know a ne- certainly not a necessary part, maybe even not even necessarily a hugely beneficial part uh but you seem to have changed your your mind about that a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about? You know, after, just even in the time since you've come to the vine, how your thinking on that may have changed and evolved. Yeah, I think, I think even when I came to the vine, probably I would have still not as um, ardently held to that kind of thought of praying your own prayers and not praying the prayers of other people. But I think that was that was certainly my practice. Um, yeah. And I did not incorporate any type of liturgical prayers e- into either my personal life or or the worship services that I had been a part of, either in a leadership role or participating in. And I think we've talked about the the confession, the prayer of confession aspect of that in one of the podcast episodes before. But yeah, that was I think when I when I came, we I don't remember all the details around it at this point, but. I think we had kind of we well I know we had stopped doing it. I don't remember all the reasons of why we had stopped doing it and kind of gone gone back to a more probably traditional in in the Church of Christ sense of traditional model of just kind of praying before the praying a, an extemporaneous prayer before the Lord's Supper and that's kind of how I transitioned into into the time of communion after the sermon. And it was actually it was a conversation with Bridget that led us to kind of re-examine that and and change back. And that conversation, I do think, has become helpful for me in not only how I think about prayer, but how I think about a lot of worship practices and what we do at the Vine. Is that because she? Um, it just happened to be that me and Terry were were kind of standing together at one point, and so she came and asked us about why we had stopped doing it. And in a very gracious way, just kind of asked about that if we were planning to to start it again and kind of shared why that type of prayer was was meaningful and important for her and and how the inclusion of prayers like that was something that helped the vine feel like home to her as someone who had grown up in a Catholic tradition. And part of what they liked about the vine was that it, it included um included aspects that kind of she and John were both familiar with and found some comfort in. And so that's how it started that we brought it back was just an acknowledgement of, hey, this can be helpful for other people. And so even at that point, I didn't, you know, I wasn't against it necessarily, but I didn't particularly get anything out of it. But I do think it was part of the kind of growth of me finding value in it. And one of the things that I appreciate about the prayer of confession is that it, it is almost a weekly occurrence that after preaching, I will hear some part of that prayer differently in light of part of the sermon. And it will most of the time be, un, like I, I, I didn't craft the sermon to speak to a specific part of the prayer of confession, but after preaching and then and then leading that prayer, I'll think, oh, like I think that part connects with something that I spoke to this morning or I or that part is emphasized in my mind this morning in light of kind of what we've been talking about. And so I hear it differently every Sunday, even as it is kind of a centering aspect of our service, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, it's such a dense prayer. There's a lot packed into that. 
as well that, I mean, I, I bet you could preach a, a whole sermon series just on, you know, unpacking the the details oh, sure. and, with the meaning of the different elements of that prayer of confession. Yeah, and even that one, you know, it was interesting how it came together, because I, and I think I've said this before too, but Bridget had found it somewhere, and then we kind of modified it, because it, a, a, it was specifically a prayer for peace, and so we kind of modified it to be more every, you know, an every Sunday type prayer, and more broad, and yeah, I do, I really like it, I like the content of it, and, and I think it's, I think it's powerful. And so I think that was part of what led me to appreciate that type of prayer in my own life. The other stuff that really helped me was, and we may have talked about this before too, but some of the thoughts about prayer from Brian Zond, who's an author, and he has talked a lot about that. He's really where I get a lot of the imagery for. I I use some of this imagery in the sermon, but he talks about, you know, learning to pray almost like learning to play a guitar, and that he says everyone wants to pick up a guitar and and play like you know whoever your you know favorite guitar player is you know Jimi Hendrix or Chris Payne or whoever you know whoever it might be um, and he says but that's not how you start you know you start by learning notes and learning chords yeah and then once you learn the chords you can learn how to put them together and then you can learn how to kind of riff off of that and do your own thing but you can't start there you have to start somewhere else. And the other imagery that was helpful for me that he gave was he talks about liturgical prayer almost as like lattice work on which a vine or a plant could grow. He says it's what gives structure to the other parts of your prayer life and, and that you've got something in which you, your own words and thoughts can then move and flow. But it has to start from this place of, of structure, of being formed by something and, and allowing that to take place within you. And so I heard him give, I've heard him at this point, give a couple of presentations of that, which is part of what kind of helped shift my thinking. And the other thing that he said was, he said, for those of you who say you, you didn't grow up with liturgical prayers, he said, like, basically his point was, like, pray for me, tell me one of your prayers, and I'll tell you what your liturgy is. Which as I thought back of it, I thought, you know, we would have said that we didn't have liturgical prayers growing up. But if you think about our prayers, most of them included the same stuff, at least from a worship standpoint. You know, I could tell you what the prayer... Yeah, not necessarily not word for word, word, for word but, but I could tell you what uh, certain prayers we're going to have. But certainly them. a lot yeah. of elements. And, and so he's like, we all have a prayer liturgy, whether or not you want to admit it. It's just who and what is, who and what is informing that liturgy. I, I, I've heard that metaphor about, you know, picking up a guitar and you don't play like Jimi Hendrix or Jimmy Page or something like that immediately upon picking one up. But I, I, I don't know that I remembered hearing about the, the lattice. I really like that um, because if just kind of left to our own devices without kind of the guidance of a liturgical prayer, it is really easy for our prayers to kind of devolve into kind of a set of checkboxes. Um, a lot of it asking for things we want, you know, whether that's like physical things or please heal this sick person or that kind of stuff, which, you know, it's not to say that there isn't a place for those elements in prayer, but that is, it, that's a very, very narrow, you know, portion of what our prayer life really should be. And if you look at a lot of liturgical prayers or congregational prayers or, you know, pre-written prayers, 
they're much more varied and much they add much more depth i think to uh a, a prayer life between god and a person who has an intimate relationship with him and and so that lattice metaphor i think works really well because um <clears throat> you know the lattice keeps the vine growing in a particular area and in a particular way but it can still kind of do its own thing and it can still you know, weave and, and, uh, shoot out in different directions. And, um, you know, we have a lot of vines in our backyard at my house and, uh, it's always interesting to see kind of the geometric shapes that a single vine can create. But if it doesn't have a lattice, it's just kind of, kind of, it turns into a blob really. You know, we, we actually have some vines in a small courtyard in our backyard that, uh, there is no lattice. It's just kind of a brick wall and some cement and the vines kind of get in there and it's just, it honestly is a mess and doesn't really look good. And, <laughs> and I think our prayer life can kind of be, feel like that um, when, when we don't have that kind of structure. And so, yeah, the, the prayers of other people can certainly help create some of that structure. Absolutely. I th- a common thing I hear from people is, I would like to pray more, but I just get so distracted, you know? Yeah. I start to pray and then my mind goes this way and my mind goes that way or whatever. And part of me says, well, that, that, that's okay. Like, um, you know, when Paul says pray continuously, I don't think he has in mind that we are, are actively in the practice of praying all day, every day, or that all of our prayers begin with dear God and end with in Jesus name, amen. But that it's a rhythm of our life and something we're coming in and out of throughout the day. Which again, I think even in, in that case, short prayers, short verses from a song can be helpful there. Uh, of what, just something that I can have in my head as I go through the day that, that can be helpful for that, for, for those of us who feel like we are easily distracted if just left to our own thoughts and devices when it comes to prayer. Yeah, kind of related to that is the concern that I hear some people express of, well, I don't really know what to say. Right. I don't really know what what to talk to God about. Well, hey, lucky Here. for you, there there is a book of common prayer. There's an entire book of Psalms. There's, you know, there are written prayers all over the place. I'm sure that anyone who wants to improve their prayer life can find some prayers that resonate, that mean that are meaningful to them, you know. Uh, oh yeah. Some of those you can just memorize and then recite to yourself as, as you pray, you know, you know, once a day, if not more often than that. Yeah. That's one of the great things about Google is you can just, if you're feeling like, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm grieving today. What is a prayer of grief? You just Google it. Prayer of grief. You're going to find all kinds of resources or I'm in a grateful mood today. What's a good prayer of gratefulness of gratitude? You can Google it and go from there. So with that said, I, w- I want to close out our conversation today with with a prayer that I think is a good just kind of daily prayer. It's one that I included in the handout that, that I included on Sunday. So I'm going to close us out with this prayer, and, um, and then that'll be it for us today. So thanks, Jason, for coming on and, and talking through that, that topic and concept a little more with me today. Hope it can be meaningful and helpful for people or that um, others may, may be looking for ways to incorporate some of this into uh, to, to your prayer life as well. So let me close us with this. This is uh, a prayer of thanksgiving, as it happens to be. 
Accept, O Lord, our thanks and praise for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the splendor of the whole creation, for the beauty of this world, for the wonder of life, and for the mystery of love. Thank you for the blessing of family and friends and for the loving care which surrounds us on every side. We thank you for setting us at tasks which demand our best efforts and for leading us to accomplishments which satisfy and delight us. We thank you also for those disappointments and failures that lead us to acknowledge our dependence on you alone. Above all, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the truth of his word and the example of his life, for his steadfast obedience by which he overcame temptation, for his dying through which he overcame death, and for his rising to life again in which we are raised to the life of your kingdom. Grant us the gift of your Spirit, that we may know him and make him known, and through him at all times and in all places may give thanks to you in all things. Amen. Amen.